Peace be upon you. God willing, I want to start with a verse, and this is in chapter 2, verse 165. It reads, Yet some people set up idols to rival God and love them as if they are God. Those who believe love God the most. If only the transgressors could see themselves when they see the retribution, they will realize then that all power belongs to God alone and that God's retribution is awesome. And I want to just focus on this expression, those who believe love God the most. And it uh, reminds me of uh, a couple verses from the uh, Bible in uh, Mark chapter 12, verse 28 through 30. It reads, One of the teachers of the law came and heard them debating. Noticing that Jesus had given them a good answer, he asked him, Of all the commandments, which is the most important? The most important one, answered Jesus, is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your mind, and with all your strength. So the topic of uh, this week's podcast is, what does it mean to love God the most, and why should we love God the most? You know, I love God, my wife, my children, you know, I love my dog, my friends, and I even love pizza. Uh, even though I love them all, my love for each of them is different. And this is actually a pitfall of the English language. Uh, then in English, it lumps all these categories of love into one, even though they're all different forms of love. So how do I know uh, and how can I determine that all these things that I you know, love, uh, that I actually love God the most? Uh, you know, there needs to be some measure that I can rate each of these different kinds of loves against to determine that I truly love God the most. There's a simple thought experiment that we can utilize to figure this out. Okay, imagine the government was going to mandate a tax on any and all consumption of pizza. And you'll be prohibited from eating any pizza unless you pay this due tax. And for the sake of the thought experiment, let's assume that there isn't a black market, you can't go outside and get pizza from somewhere else. Uh, you're, you're bound by these laws, right? And, it's, uh, and if you uh, break these laws, you know, it, it doesn't happen. Let's put it that way. So how much would you be willing to pay that tax so you can eat some pizza? You know, are you willing to pay $1,000 so you can eat some pizza, or are you willing to pay a hundred thousand dollars? You know, and this might be—it might be tough because obviously we don't all have unlimited amount of uh, capital. Maybe we really love pizza, but we only have ten dollars. Uh, so therefore, you know, it makes kind of limits the thought experiment. So we could think about it another way. You know, imagine you're at the mall, and uh, you you uh, bump into Bill Gates. You know, one of the—I think he is or was. Uh, the richest man in, uh, in the world. Yeah, so he's the richest man in the uh, United States. So you bump into Bill Gates. And uh, Bill Gates, you know, he's uh, working on this new thing, and he's telling you about it, and he's conducting an experiment. He's trying to determine how much people love pizza. And he wants you to participate in this experiment. And what he's going to do is he's going to write you a check, whatever amount that you deem absolutely necessary for you to never eat pizza again. What is that value? You know, if he makes you a check and says, I will pay you $10,000 right now with the contingency that you will never taste pizza again, would you take him on that offer? Or what if his offer was $10 million? You know, would you take Bill Gates on his offer to never eat pizza again for $10 million? And by determining, you know, this kind of like uh, this, uh, this monetary exchange, we come to realize just how much it is that we love certain items, you know. How much are we willing to give up or how much would we need to take in order for us to sever our uh, attachment to these items?
You know, how much will someone have to pay you? Or how much will you be willing to pay so you don't lose your, you know, fill in the blank, your child, your spouse, your friend? Um, and you see, I mean, it gets a little convoluted. And it's nice to have kind of a currency of exchange, but how do you compare two loves that are priceless, right? I mean, I can't put a value on how much I love my child. I can't put a value on how much I love, uh, you know, my uh, my spouse, my parents. Um, you know, there isn't a uh, monetary exchange I could uh, accept for something like that. And, um, you know, for these priceless items, how do we compare uh, two loves that there is no monetary value? Since both loves are priceless, you know, what if we take it one step further? What if we compare any two loves in our life against one another? So either pizza or your dog, which will it be? You know, uh, uh, or your uh, your spouse or your uh, your child. You know, obviously this is going to get pretty uncomfortable pretty quick. And since the purpose of this discussion isn't how much how we compare our loves in our lives, it's only one question: How do we know we love God the most? Right. So I don't need to go and break down. Do I love my uh, uh, my dog more or pizza or my spouse or my child? You know, the question is, how do we know out of all these things that we love, that we love God the most? So the only comparison we need to make is that and God tells us in 924, it reads proclaim if your parents, your children, your siblings, your spouses, your family, the money you have earned, the business you worry about. And the homes you cherish are more beloved to you than God and his messenger and the striving in his cause. Then just wait until God brings his judgment. God does not guide the wicked people. You know, throughout the Quran, we see examples of messengers selecting God over all others. Um, and we see the example of uh, Abraham, where he selected God over his own father. And this would be incredibly difficult. But it's something that if we love God the most, we won't hesitate if we have to make that selection. In uh, 1941 uh, through 50, it reads, mentioned in the scripture, Abraham, he was a saint, a prophet. He said to his father, oh, my father, why do you worship what can neither hear nor see nor help you in any way? Oh, my father, I have received certain knowledge that you did not receive. Follow me and I will guide you in a straight path. Oh, my father, do not worship the devil. The devil has rebelled against the most gracious. Oh, my father, I fear lest you incur retribution from the most gracious, then become an ally of the devil. He said, so his father responds, Have you uh, forsaken my gods, O Abraham? Unless you stop, I will stone you. Leave me alone. He said, Peace be upon you. I will implore my Lord to forgive you. He has been most kind to me. I will abandon you and the gods you worship beside God. I will worship only my Lord. By imploring my Lord alone, I cannot go wrong. Because he abandoned them and the gods they worship beside God, we granted him Isaac and Jacob, and we made each of them a prophet. We showered them with our mercy. We granted them an honorable position in history. And you see here that, you know, Abraham's father basically gave Abraham an ultimatum. Either you're going to basically follow my gods, or you're going to be disowned. In, in, in another verse, Abraham's father actually threatens to stone Abraham. And you see that you know, loving God the most doesn't mean that we love, you know, uh, our uh, spouses, our parents, our children less. And you see this in the response that Abraham gives, that after uh, Abraham's father, uh, you know, starts, uh, in essence, uh, uh, being kind of uh, rude to, uh, to Abraham, Abraham responds with, peace be upon you. I will implore my Lord to forgive you. He has been most kind to me. 
And you see that even though Abraham made a firm stance that he selected God, showing that he loved God the most, he wasn't, uh, you know, um, uh, unkind. He wasn't mean. He wasn't rude. Uh, he was very respectful. And yet he still selected God. You know, another example of Abraham is between selecting God and our children. And we see this in the example in chapter 37, verse 102 through 111. It says, satanic dreams, so that's a header. It says, when he grew enough to work with him, he said, so this is in regard to Ishmael, he said, my son, I see in a dream that I'm sacrificing you. What do you think? He said, so Ishmael responded, oh, my father, do what you are commanded to do. You'll find me God willing, patient. They both submitted and he put his forehead down to sacrifice him. And it says, uh, header, uh, God intervenes to save Abraham and Ishmael. It reads, we called him, O Abraham, you have believed the dream. We thus reward the righteous. That was an exacting test indeed. We ransomed Ishmael by substituting an animal sacrifice. We preserved his history for subsequent generations. Peace be upon Abraham. We thus reward the righteous. He's one of our believing servants. So even though that this dream uh, of uh, Abraham thinking that God wanted him to uh, sacrifice his son came from Satan, it just shows the level of commitment that both Abraham and Ishmael had for God, that Abraham was willing to forego his own child, and Ishmael was willing to forego his own life because they loved God the most. You know, that even though this was a test instituted by Satan, that you know, this was the level of commitment and the level of uh, love that they had for God. And we even see examples of uh, Lot and Pharaoh's wife selecting God over their spouses. In 2933, it reads, When our messengers arrived at Lot's place, they were mistreated, and he was embarrassed by their presence. But they said, Have no fear and do not worry. We will save you and your family except your wife. She is doomed. And you don't see, you know, Lot, in essence, uh, um, complaining, you know, arguing. Uh, he accepts that this is the way that God wills the situation to play out. And he submits and he selects God. He doesn't turn back. Uh, you know, he, he basically marches on forward. And same thing in 6611, it says, And God cites an, as an example of those who believed the wife of Pharaoh. She said, My Lord, build a home for me at you in paradise and save me from Pharaoh and his work. Save me from the transgressing people. That Pharaoh's own wife, who lived amongst him, you know, selected God over Pharaoh and made this plea to God. And we see the example of Solomon, Solomon selecting God over wealth. In 3830 through uh, 34, it reads Solomon's exemplary devotion. It says, To David we granted Solomon a good and obedient servant. One day he became preoccupied with beautiful horses until the night fell. Then he said, I enjoyed the material things more than I enjoyed worshiping my Lord until the sun was gone. Bring them back to bid farewell. He rubbed their legs and necks. We thus put uh, Solomon to the test. We blessed him with vast material wealth, but he steadfastly submitted. You know, and in this context, Solomon missed a, a, his contact prayer. And in return, he basically gives away his horses, his prized possessions. And it shows that despite whatever wealth that God bestows to him, that he is still selecting God over his wealth. And uh, we even see in the example of Job, you know, Job selected God over his own well-being. And it says, uh, the devil afflicts Job. It says, remember our servant Job, he called upon his Lord. The devil has afflicted me with hardship and pain. And strike the ground with your foot. A spring will give you healing and a drink. And if you read the, uh, the book of Job in the Bible, you see that after all this hardship, all this adversity, while everyone was telling Job to curse God, to blame God, that he doesn't. 
And he even uh, goes so far to, uh, to implore God and acknowledges that it's the devil that inflicted him. And he never turns his back on God and it just shows that he loves God the most. So here's the simple reason we should love God the most. You remember the old stories uh, we used to hear? Um, if you watched the movie Aladdin, uh, you'd get a, uh, you know, uh, someone stumbles on a magic lamp, rubs it, and he gets three wishes. And uh, everyone who hears the story always says the same thing. He says, I would just ask for a million wishes, right? I would ask for an infinite number of wishes. Then I'm not limited to the three. And this is the, this is the, 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 uh, the solution for why we love God the most. Because God is the source of love. When we love God, it increases our ability to love others. You want to increase your love for your spouse more? You want to increase the love for your parents, your children, or even how much we love pizza? <laughs> then you should love God the most. So how does this work? So how can loving uh, God enable us to love everything more? You know, God created us. God created and controls every atom in this universe. Everything in this world that is righteous, that is good, that we love is because of God. The source of all love and everything good is God. When we love God, we are loving love itself. And this increase, this increases our threshold to love. So by loving God, God is the source of love. We are loving love itself. And when we do that, it increases our threshold to love others. So when we love our threshold for pleasure, release in our brains is reduced, allowing us to get joy from simple everyday interactions. You know, by being in a constant state of love, we'll be able to live more appreciative lives because we'll be able to feel good from so many of the simple joys in this world. And on the flip side, when we don't feel love, it becomes more difficult to find joy and appreciation in our lives. You know, additionally, when we are in a state of love, overcoming obstacles, you know, if we have difficulties, we have uh, hardships, uh, becomes easier. You know, we're less bothered by things. Therefore, if someone is easily agitated or becomes easily hopeless when faced with hardship, it's probably a sign that, you know, they're lacking love in their life. And it's obvious that, you know, love makes us feel good. But this feeling good to love can also have an opposite effect. Because when we love, we're making ourselves vulnerable. And think about it. When we love something or someone, we are opening our hearts to them. And when we open our hearts to someone, that someone has the ability of disappointing us, of hurting us. You know, they say uh, you, you uh, uh, hate stems from love. And in 64.14 it reads, Oh, you believe your spouses and your children can be your enemies. Beware. If you pardon, forget, and forgive, then God is forgiver most merciful. Now you think about this. Like, how could it be possible that our spouses, our children, you know, these, these uh, entities that we're so close to can be such a source of misery. Um, and the reason is it's because we open our hearts to them. And inevitably, if we put our love into anything more than we do to God, we're going to be disappointed. When we leave this world, we're not going to have anything. You know, Everything good emanates from God. And if God is not our absolute top priority, if God is not our absolute top most loved, then we're going to lose it all. And you're the only entity in this entire universe and beyond who will keep their word, who will never disappoint us. It's God. And we put God above all others, then we will never be disappointed. We'll never be hurt. And therefore, we'll always be in a state of love. In 3.174 reads, They have deserved God's blessings and grace. No harm ever touches them, for they have attained God's approval. God possesses infinite grace. 
But think of it this way, you know, when we love God the most, we love everything in the universe that much more. You know, out of everyone who's listening, how many of you guys love cockroaches? You know, I'm going to guess that not too many of you love cockroaches. But I bet by loving God, not only will you love your spouse, your children, your job, your parents, you know, your dog more, but you'll even find a way to love a cockroach. You know, and you don't believe me, think of this. God created that cockroach. God put that cockroach on this planet, you know, the billions and billions of other cockroaches, right? On this planet for a reason. You know, the, you know, some people, when they study the cockroach, they call it the perfect creature. Think of this. Human beings, we've been around for about 40,000 years. Cockroaches, on the other hand, have been around for over 300 million years. That's 165 million years longer than the dinosaurs. You know, they survived ice ages. Uh, continental breakup, asteroid impacts, nuclear explosions, oh, pesticides, you name it. So many of these catastrophes, yet they continue to persevere. You know, a cockroach, it can go hours without oxygen. It can go 90 days without food and 40 days without water. They can grow, regrow limbs, meaning like you cut off a limb or it loses a limb, it can regrow one back. And if you decapitate a cockroach, not that you do this intentionally, but if it happens, its head alone can last for 12 hours and its body can survive for 40 days. And the only reason the body dies is because it lacks the mechanism of a mouth to eat. Now, how amazing is that? That this is a creature that God created. Now, people, you know, they associate cockroaches with disease and filth, except the cockroach itself internally doesn't possess a lot of these, uh, these, uh, these filthy traits we associate with. It's actually the environment that the cockroach is uh, that's f full of disease and filth. And the cockroach can thrive in these environments. And it's because of its immune system, its, a, its ability to basically fight off these disease, bacteria, viruses. And um, cockroaches, because of this, people have been studying them. And um, they've been looking at how is it possible that the cockroach can thrive under all these extreme circumstances. And they're finding out all these medical values of a cockroach, you know, for indigestion, tetanus, boils, uh, earache, and even imp impotence, <laughs> that a cockroach can help with all these. And even the brain of the cockroach, they found out that it's uh, antibiotic. And uh, in one study, the, uh, the roach's brains could kill 90% of uh, resistant bacteria in E. coli. And that's amazing. This is a creature that God created, you know, that possesses all these amazing capabilities, all this amazing technology, um, even to the point that the, the way the cockroach moves, uh, you know, its reaction time is uh, less than 40 milliseconds. It can span, it can travel the length of 50 of its uh, body length in one second. And researchers are trying to study the mechanism, the mechanics, the physiology of a cockroach to see if we can design, you know, robots and cars that are literally uh, impossible to crash. Now you think of that, each year we have 30,000 uh, deaths in the road. Um, and if we can utilize this technology in our automobiles, we'd be saving 30,000 lives a year because of a cockroach. Now how awesome is that? You know, some scientists are proposing even uh, using the, uh, the implanting, you know, information into the DNA of the cockroach to keep it as a time capsule throughout time. So we can basically, you know, go away from these uh, data centers uh, that are uh, power hungry and, um, you know, vulnerable to, uh, to losing data um, to be able to embed that into uh, the, the DNA of a cockroach and know that it's going to be able to persevere for millions and millions of years. How awesome, you know, God created this technology, these little roaches for us to learn from, to grow from. Um, and God designed these guys. 
And when, when seen under this lens, all of a sudden, you know, you may notice that you're no longer spiteful towards this roach. That surprisingly, you might just be a little appreciative, you know, that God, this love that we have for God, this, uh, this, uh, this awe that we have for God makes us, you know, look into these, these, uh, these, uh, these specimens, these technologies that God has put for us so we can learn. And then all of a sudden, as opposed to feeling, you know, disgust towards this creature, you know, we might just feel a little bit of love. And how awesome is that? That by loving God, we can love everything else in this world that much more. Because we realize that every single interaction, every single creation, every single event that happens in this life has been perfectly conducted and coordinated by God to teach us a lesson, to be able to take something from it. You know, all these things in life that we take for granted, we start noticing. And since our threshold for being happy because of being in a state of love is reduced, you know, we feel more love and we'll see more of it. And this fills us with even more love. And then when we're filled with love, we become more appreciative. You know, therefore, we're filled with even more love. And what a beautiful system, right? That when you love God the most, that God opens up your eyes to see all these other amazing beauties that he's created and allows you to take so much more to become that much more appreciative. In 1996, it reads, Surely those who believe and lead a righteous life, the most gracious will shower them with love. You know, why else should we love God the most? Because it is out of His mercy that we were given another chance to be redeemed. Think of this. When we question God's absolute authority and we ask to come back into this uh, world, all the angels and all of God's creatures, were the response was to banish us, to send us to hell. There was no hope for us. You know, we were rebels in the high society. It is only because of God's grace and God's mercy that we were given this another chance to come into this world to show that we're either going to be appreciative or unappreciative, to show are we going to love God the most or not at all. And this is the purpose. This is the reason we need to love God the most. And in 331, it reads, Proclaim, if you love God, you shall follow me. God will then love you and forgive your sins. God is forgiver, most merciful. You know, we need to follow God's message. And it, God tells us in 61, 10 through 13, he tells us what the best deal is. is oh, you who believe, let me inform you of a trade that will save you from painful retribution. Believe in God and his messenger and strive in the cause of God with your money and your lives. This is the best deal for you if you only knew. In return, he forgives your sins and admits you into gardens with flowing streams, with beautiful mansions and gardens of Eden. This is the greatest triumph. Additionally, you get something you truly love, support from God, and guaranteed victory. Give good news to the believers. So God willing, we're going to end there. Um, inshallah, you know, we're all going to find ways to, uh, to, to make sure that we love God the most. That the number one priority in our lives is God. That when we wake up in the morning, the first thing we think about is God. The first words that come out of our mouth are to praise God. That before we eat, we mention God's name. And we think about the creation that God has put there in front of our plates. We think about the digestive system throughout our bodies that can extract this nutrients from the food we eat. That creates the fuel that keeps our bodies going. That allows us to do our contact prayers. That allows us to be appreciative. That allows us to, to fill our hearts, our minds, our soul with love. So... Let's look back at the, uh, the most important commandment. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord, with, uh, your God, with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind, and with all your strength. Until next time, peace and God bless. 
If you got any comments, questions, hit us up at crontalk at gmail.com um, or uh, hit us up on uh, Twitter at Talk Quran. Until next time, peace and God bless.